Reed got us going two weeks ago in her incredible sharing on being a neighbor. And uh, Joanna is going to be sharing today. Wade's uh, going to be partnering with her. So let's, let's pray and let's uh, go. We're a little bit behind today, so let's, let's keep tracking. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for uh, your word and, and the privilege we have, Lord, to, to, uh, to focus in on something we really have the opportunity to do well. Lord, if we, if we commit, this, commit ourselves to this, we ask, Lord, for the, for the desire, for the energy, for the follow-through, Lord, to, and the capacity just to, to be good neighbors uh, this summer, Lord, as, this, as the warmer weather comes. Thank you for Wade and Joe, the gift they are to us. Bless them as they share with us today. We open our hearts. Father, we, we, we reverence your word today. Give us ears to hear, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, everybody. So, thanks, Edwin. <laughs> hi, everybody, and Edwin, who said hi back. Awesome. Great to see you guys. Um, yeah, welcome, friends and visitors. And it's re- what a cool day it is today. So many people here that, that uh, we haven't seen for a while that we're happy to have back. Welcome, yeah, welcome, visitors. As Gordy already said, we started... Uh, Our official start was last week during a four-week series called The Art of Neighboring. But we had an unbelievable, unofficial start two weeks ago where Karen Reed, who is an urban missionary right here in our neighborhood, who has an intentional house where she shares in community with other people, just shared what it was that God had put on her heart to do with how she shares her home, the things that God had taught her during that journey, and the things that she was being taught through the community and through the neighborhood. And I am not joking when I say she essentially preached the four-week sermon just by what the Holy Spirit told her to say. So we finished, and I had goosebumps. We just said, that was unbelievable. Do you know that you just, like, preached the whole series that we're going to do? And being very Canadian, she said, oh, sorry. (laughs) I said, no, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. Um, So... Just uh, a little review. Oh, I never remember how to do this. Do I go arrow up? Thank you, tech guys. Point there. Oh, Karen's speech. She she asked specifically that because of some of the personal things that she shared in that 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 it not be widely available. But um, but you can ask at the welcome table for the password to our members-only area on the website, and it's posted in our members-only area on the website, and you can ask at the welcome table, and they'll give you the password to that area. But if I said it right now and publish it online, that would defeat the purpose. So you can do that. Um, so the art of neighboring is uh, an actual movement. It's, uh, it's a book, but it came out of a series of events that happened in 2010 in the Colorado area where there was a group of pastors that were getting together and meeting. Um, The numbers, they said eventually 21 churches went through the service, but at the time they had as many as 48 different churches in the Colorado area. And it came out of a meeting that they were having together as pastors where the mayor of Arvada, which is one of the smaller communities outside Denver, came to the meeting and they said to the mayor, what could we do as churches 
that would really bless the city. And the mayor said, well, you know, there's a lot of people who are isolated. There's a lot, and essentially wound up saying in a roundabout way, really, if people were good neighbors, if you loved your neighbor, that would be good. And the pastor that writes the book said there's, there was this sort of collective forehead slap. And the mayor has said, almost in apology afterwards, I, I really didn't say it in a way that I meant to say, could you please just do your job? But the pastor said, is anybody else here embarrassed that we asked him what we should be doing? And he said, love your neighbor. <laughs> um, sort of basic for those of us who have been followers of Jesus for more than a couple of minutes. In the scripture, it says the most important commandment. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is equally as important Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So this group of pastors looked at each other and went, hmm, it's a little embarrassing that that's what we got told. But essentially, that's what they started doing. And at the same time, this group of churches all over this city committed to do this sermon series together. And Catholic, Protestant, all different stripes of the, of the Christian church, the bride all together did this sermon series at the same time, and it impacted the city. And there are other cities now in the states that are bringing in the, the pastors and the mayor. If you go to their website, it's artofneighboring.com, you can read about how this is growing. This is a movement that's growing. We just, you know, Gordy and Kathleen were so moved by it. One of the authors of the book is a gentleman named Jay Pathak, who's a vineyard pastor, and just felt like it was a really timely message. And I had a, a text message this morning from a friend of mine who attends another church in the city, and she said, I think this message is timely and prophetic. And it's one of those things that, as someone that's been following Jesus for a long time, I, I do feel like I have had some kind of forehead-slapping moments in this, studying this and going, this is so obvious, yet so, so simple and good. Um, the other thing I want to say about being a good neighbor is that this series is a gift to us from our neighbor, the United States. And one of the things that I've learned in traveling as a Canadian is that often we don't realize our own, the shortcomings of our own culture until we go outside our culture. And I don't know, speaking to Canadians here, if we realize that culturally we've been taught it's okay for us to be really rude to Americans, and that's actually really unchristian. That if we're supposed to love our neighbor, we need to be grateful and aware of the gifts that we receive from our next door neighbor. And one of the gifts that we're receiving today is this series. So I personally am a terrible spelling snob. <laughs> so I know that the way that in Canada, the proper Canadian spelling of neighbor is with an O-U-R. <laughs> I cannot tell you that I don't notice this. And for example, if you are a business who does not have your Canadian spelling on your business, I am a snob and I actually don't shop. I don't even shop at businesses that are like, kids cuts with a Z at the end and stuff because I just get so annoyed. But as I was prepping this today, every time I would see the O-R and the O-U-R, I would get kind of bugged about it because I get bugged 
when my when we have scripture up on the board and we don't have Canadian spelling in our songs in our scriptures I'm like we're at church in Canada and I, I, I'm quite serious and I felt that God spoke to me and said one of the gifts that we need to learn in being good neighbors today as Canadians in all seriousness is to receive the gift of this series from our neighbors in the United States to acknowledge it as a gift to acknowledge the incredible gifts as visionaries that the United States has that they're yeah anyway lots of gifts but that's part and of snacks. it and snacks and snacks they have really good snacks and snacks so we started yeah there's a beef jerky aisle that's Wade's favorite okay so the little squares in the top um, for those of you who were not here last week the assignment that was you know started our forehead slapping walk of shame is perhaps not the best neighbors was um, Kim could you hold up there there's block maps here that we were asked to fill in the names of our neighbors do you know the names of your neighbors in front of you behind you on either side of you how many did you know and then there's even a b c a is if you know their name b is if you know a fact about them c is if you know their hopes their dreams so the goal with this is to start to move from somebody that's a stranger to somebody that's an acquaintance to somebody that uh, is a relationship but we're going to be talking today Wade and I are going to talk a little bit about what some of the obstacles are in doing that and yeah how how we're going to go about it so take it away honey All right. obstacles can you click me forward there I can are you going to rock the remote sure you should yes you should do that thanks okay page down thank you <laughs> Joanna is a uh, is a spelling snob, but you guys all know that I'm a Mac snob, so I don't, I don't have my phone interface with my laptop set up. Um, so um, what do you guys think the number one obstacle to neighboring well is? Go, your turn. Laziness. Yeah, yeah, sort of. As a fear? Apathy. Apathy. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Roland, that's gold star. Roland wins, because that's the one we wanted Way to say. Way to go, Roland. It's time. Page down. There we go. No. Well, there you go. There's all of them. Um, so, oh, thank you. <laughs> this concept of time is kind of a bizarre cultural anomaly of ours. So let me explain this to you. Let's try to remember um, back to the dark ages of, oh, 1995, 1996. Does anyone remember reading all that, if you're a technological type person, all, or even read the newspaper about this, about the information superhighway, right? Yeah, and these, um, these amazing new technologies that we have. We're going to have the paperless office. Does anyone remember all that BS about the paperless office? How much paper do you have in your office right now? How many emails do you have printed off? Right? Paper has not gone away, right? If I told you back in good old 1995 that you could have a supercomputer that you carried around in your pocket that allowed you to talk to people face to face on the other side of the world for free. It, I would have went, no way, it blows my mind. I couldn't believe it, right? 
You're like, think of all the meetings that I won't have to go to. <laughs> think of, if you said, hey, there's this amazing new thing called email, and you'll be able to sit in the coffee shop with this thing that goes in your pocket, and you can send free messages to everyone around the world. You're like, that will save me so much time. Price is right, horns. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Right. Are time-saving devices, do they really save us that much time? Not. They kind of create more, right? You're like, oh, because now I'm doing this. And, oh, someone messaged me on Facebook, and I need to sell more of those cows. Yeah. No. Sorry, I've never played Farmville in my life. Do do you sell cows on Farmville? I don't even know. I didn't get that it was a farm. That's okay. Yeah, see, it really couldn't even be a Farmville joke because I really know nothing about Farmville. So don't invite me to play Farmville. Because you don't have enough time. Because I don't have enough time. time There you go. And so we continue. When when Joanne and I started talking about uh, this and um, working it through, I hate that thing. Uh, And we started um, processing this between ourselves. and, and felt really convicted and how can we do this and start talking about time because uh, I'm sure you're exactly like me. You don't feel like you have, oh, a couple extra hours of time every week to, let's go meet our neighbors. No, because quite frankly, I'd sooner be lazy, you know, and sit on my phone and check Twitter. That's what I would sooner do. Full disclosure, full, full confession. Um, <laughs> And I started talking to Joanna about my sort of feelings about time fatigue. So what I mean by time fatigue is this. Uh, About a year ago, I read a fascinating article um, about extreme poverty uh, and how they were doing um, these studies into um, the, uh, the association, the mental association between being extremely poor and how you spend your money and making serious life decisions. And I just read on Twitter... Um, that um, um, the UN is trying to eradicate extreme poverty, which is living on under a dollar fifty a day in about five years. It's a big goal. So lots of people are talking about this, and they were saying that if you only have a dollar fifty to live each day, you have some serious decisions that you need to make. So first of all, what do you need? Well, you need a place to live. You need something to eat. You need clean water, right? So because you have $1.50, you live in a garbage dump because it's free, which means there's no clean water, which means your kids are sick. And there's rats everywhere. And you have $1.50 to buy food, and your infant child has diarrhea, just got malaria, and the medicine that they need costs $5. Or they're going to die. So what do you do? That's a really hard choice, isn't it? Because if you go without food, then your other four children get weak and they get sick. So do you see where I'm... So being extremely poor is actually exhausting in making decisions. And they were saying that you get to a point where you're making so many vital decisions that you get decision fatigue, that you're like... Well, what can I do? Like, you're, you're kind of hooped either way, right? So this is, this is a, a real problem uh, of decision fatigue when talking about extreme poverty. So I would like to relate that, obviously, 
a lot different topic. We're talking about time to go visit your neighbors than the horrible tragedy that is extreme poverty throughout the world. But I think that we face time fatigue. So if we're sitting, Joanna are sitting, well, how are we going to do this, right? If we're going to preach about this, if we're going to talk about this, I believe in leading by example. Let's look at our schedule. I just had to say, look, I'm going to confess. I have time fatigue. Like the sheer act of keeping our family alive is exhausting. (laughs) It is. <laughs> you know, we live yeah. in 700 square feet. We homeschool our three children. Uh, I'm starting to, I'm trying to start an international for-profit social enterprise. Joanne is the assistant pastor. Like that in itself. Like doing the dishes on top of that and laundry is a major accomplishment. It's like, woo! So where do you find extra time there? So I'm not here to tell you that I have the answer. I'm here to tell you that I understand. I am not coming from a, hey, guess what? I'm married to the assistant pastor, and I'm holding the microphone, so you guys should really do this. No, I'm exhausted from time fatigue. I've been there. I I know what it feels like. Um, And there's also, um, what I mean by trust versus effort is there there comes a point where, um, as I was also saying to Joanna, there's a balance Um, between how much effort we can put into our own abilities to accomplish something and how much we need to trust God um, to just get it done. Um, Yeah. So... Are you still... Are you done? Not quite. You don't have to be done? I don't have to be done. Okay. So so what I mean by trust and effort is... um, we can look at this big giant map and it can become a spreadsheet. And it's like, okay, now we're going to do this. What are our three goals? And that's awesome. And that's really good. Um, And we need to do that. But there comes a point where you just got to go, okay, I can do what I can do. And the rest is up to God. And you can't, you know, just flop the other way. Either and just say, okay, well, if God wants all my neighbors to like become Christians, that's why you know there's those lame Christian TV shows on TV, and they could flip through the channels and they could get saved, and we're not we're not into that, right? Um, but there's this balance between yes, we need to exert ourselves, and yes, we need to trust God. And when we get to either one of those extremes, we get off the rails. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good job, Ed. Um, oh, you have my I do. Awesome. Um, the, yeah, basically the whole point is trying to think, to think about this seriously. Like the challenge that Gordy gave last week was if, if the Bible says that we need to love our neighbor, we need to consider that God is actually talking about our actual neighbor. That it's not just a metaphor for a neighbor because if all we do is love our metaphorical neighbor, then we're loving people metaphorically, which means nothing really gets done. We're not really loving anybody. We're just loving an idea of loving people. And so... Um, uh, what this really comes down to is identifying imbalance. Can you click, please, for me? Can you just... I'm just going to go, yes, thank you, Peter. I'm going to go, Uncle Peter. Okay, so identifying imbalance. And, and like Wade said, you know, I think a lot of us feel like uh, it's hard to find time for one new relationship, let alone this block map that my pastor just gave me, telling me that I'm going to start eight new relationships. How's that going to work? And... Um, we just came, we just had a week away. We were very grateful. It was just totally this awesome miracle from God. We got to go 
um, to a place in Washington State, and we were by a beach for a week. And me and the girls especially, we go down and we pick the rocks, we pick the driftwood, we pick, and then Wade is in charge of packing the car afterwards when everything comes back. And if we had our way, we would bring home like entire sections of the beach to set up in our, I mean, Sophia and I are like, we have to say goodbye to the beach before we go. We love it. But my favorite analogy from this book about identifying imbalance is that if we don't actually sit and think about our priorities, think about what's important, think about what's most important and where our time is going, we're not going to be able to make our own choices with our time. Those choices kind of tend to get made for us. And the author used this analogy where I said it out loud and I was like, I love this, and somebody else is like, Oh yeah, I've heard that a bazillion times before. Maybe you've heard this a bazillion times before, but I always think that there's somebody who's never heard it, so I thought it was cool and I'll share it with you. So beach analogy, if I bring you a bucket this big of rocks, and I bring you a bucket this big of sand, and I bring you a bucket this big of water, and I say to you, fit all these things in this one bucket for me, Unless you are Wade Pallister and you can pack a van like nobody's business, you're going to say, this is totally impossible. How am I supposed to fit loving God and taking care of my family and loving my neighbor all in the same bucket? Well, it only works if you do it in the right order. If you take those great big God-first priority rocks, and for us, we really had to talk about what is us actually spending time with God? And what is us doing things for God? Because we work with the church, we work with the Christian missions organization. You could justify that lots of stuff, I mean, we're raising a family. I mean, really, our perspective on life is that all of us could say that everything that we do is for God. But I felt like God just spoke to me about the, the story from the Gospel of Luke about Mary and Martha so many times this week. You know, I am a, I'm, I'm, I, I'm a planner. I like to be organized. And I get these things in my head, and sometimes I can't sleep if I don't write them all down. But I just felt like the Lord was saying to me so often this week, Joanna, Joanna, you're worried about so many things. I mean, I could not sit in a cabin at the beach with my kids and seriously sit without thinking, what should we do next? Should we have lunch next? Or should I go, maybe I should go to the, I could go to the beach. Or I could, and I seriously sometimes felt like the Lord was like, just sit, like just sit, sit down. We need to have those God-sized rocks that go in the bucket first. And then, wow, and then that sand, which is our relationships, our important relationships with our family and friends, and then that water, that filling water of our community around us. And if we put them in in the right order, it'll all fit. But if we don't prioritize our lives, then it's going to get done for us. So the authors of this book identify three big lies, which we really resounded with, and Wade's going to share them. are the three lies that we tell ourselves about um, time Mm -hmm. uh, and imbalance. The first one is that um, things will settle down someday. Mm -hmm. You know what I've found in my short life is that someday never comes because tomorrow is just right around the corner. Um, And that it just keeps rolling on, doesn't it? Uh, or that um, uh, our culture likes to tell ourselves that more will be enough. It's like, okay, if I, you know, if I just get a better phone, I will be able to schedule things better, which will give me more time. Yeah, 
Yeah, that doesn't work. Or, or if I buy this new big giant TV, then yeah, no, more, more never seems to be enough. Um, and the third lie is that um, everyone lives like this, right? Everyone's really busy. You know, everyone uh, has lots to do at work. Everyone's taking their kids to soccer. Even if you don't have kids, it's like, well, then I have this... I don't know, church leadership team meeting, you know, there always seems to be something more. And so we tell ourselves, well, that's, that's just how everyone lives. You know, everyone doesn't live like that. Um, it's harder to find people in our culture who don't live like that. But um, from my own experience, just get yourself to a really awesome third world country and hang out with some extremely poor people and learn and see Jesus. And I feel much richer that I've had the opportunity to do that. And not from a, hey, I have white skin and I'm from North America and I'm here to tell you about Jesus. No, from a, hey, my culture is really screwed up. And when we talk about things like time and family and priorities, we have a lot to learn. And you know what? You have almost nothing. And you're giving what you have to me and cooking me a meal and being Jesus to me. And it's actually a beautiful thing. And we have a lot to learn. And everyone doesn't live in this constant cycle of chasing our own tail and essentially being wrapped up in ourselves at belly button, you know, uh, gazing at our own belly buttons. Millions of people, billions of people around the world have gotten this figured out and have learned their priorities Mm -hmm. about God and their family and their community. And we have a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was um, a really great conversation in our small group last week after Gordy's sermon where uh, this was a thought that hadn't occurred to me before. This is, a, this is a, a, a problem of being in a rich country because we can live independently. We can have our own house where we drive our own car into our own garage and shut our garage and go into our house and not see our neighbors and come out again. Vancouver, it's a little bit different, but it can work the same with apartments. I mean, I've lived places for years where we never saw our neighbors. And... If you're really poor and you're super dependent on each other, you don't have the luxury of not knowing each other. So um, what an awful thing to say that it's a luxury to not know each other. Oh, I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. So here is a thought. The next point is that the healthiest person who ever lived was Jesus. The Bible tells us that he was human in every way but was without sin. Um, Yet he had, you know, he had a pretty full life. And that was our reading today, was John 10.10. And that was our reading that was scheduled without knowing that this was the sermon that we were going to be preached. It's kind of nutty. But, um, you know, Jesus' desire for us was to have a full life. He lived a passionate, purposeful life. And my big moment this week was that if this is the great commandment, it's great. Like, it's a good thing. It's awesome. Do you know what I mean? If this, if this is not meant to be one more thing we need to do, this is the best thing for us. Because if God is always loving and always good, for him to tell us that to love our neighbor has to be the best thing for us. It has to be the most loving, the kindest, 
you know, the, the, the perfect thing for us. Because even if it's hard, what Jesus said is he's come to give us a passionate, purposeful, meaningful, abundant life. Because that's the character and nature of God. Do you hear me? That's the character and nature of God. So if this is what God is telling us for us, this can only be good. So if we feel like it's not good or not possible, then that's what we have to look at. And that's what we're looking at today. So the author of the book, Jay Pathak, if you can go to the next point, Peter, he tells a great story about how he and his wife were both athletes, very serious athletes, and that their son was showing incredible athletic promise and had an opportunity to join this baseball league that would have meant tons of practices and how their family gave that up. Well, our family is a little bit different. Neither of us were ever athletes. Um, but my family legacy, I don't know if you'll recognize this, this is actually the, the flag that was on my grandfather's casket at his funeral. I don't know if you recognize this, but he was a Queen's Scout. My parents met at a Cub Scout camp. I am not joking. That is where they met. At one point in our family, we have pictures of me in my Girl Guide uniform and my sisters in their brownie uniform and my brother was a Cub Scout and we did cubbing and scouting. I never thought that my kids would not be in brownies and scouts. My daughters want to be in brownies and Girl Scouts so bad that they make their own pretend Girl Scout League with their cousin. But this year, I'm not joking, you ask Sophia, we have bought badges from the second-hand store. She makes stuff out of toilet paper or sashes when they're together and they play a game. Then they go, we just totally earned our hiking badge. And we go, that's great. Like, it's in their DNA. <laughs> but what the author of the book talks about and what we need to do when we prioritize ourselves is that that's not a bad thing. That would be awesome. This morning I was sewing a button on Eleanor's dress thinking, I learned to sew a button in Girl Guides. Girl Guides is awesome. It totally blessed my life. Our girls are not in brownies this year because they're two different ages. And if we put them in brownies, it would mean that we were driving one of them to school, one of them to brownies on a Monday night and one of them to brownies on a Thursday night. They already take tap. And we had said one activity per semester. We believe that God had spoken to us about being more involved in the church. So that's what we said yes to. And it meant giving up something good. It doesn't mean that we're looking at only cutting things out of our lives that are bad, awful, sinful things. Sometimes it means you give up something good. Um, because Jesus, he never hurried. He was never hurried. He was totally available. I was reading this morning, if you want to hear an intense story, go back and read the story in the Gospels of how Jesus was on the way to heal Jairus' daughter, this official Jairus, and the daughter was dying. They were like, this girl is dying. She's dying. We've got to come right now. And all of a sudden, up behind Jesus comes the woman with the issue of blood and touches his robe. And he stops everything. And that was a miracle on the way to a miracle. And you can hear the tension in his disciples' voice where Jesus goes, who touched me? And Peter, you can hear his eyes roll. Jesus, you're totally surrounded by a thousand people. What do you mean, who touched me? 
oh, there's unbelievable reasons why it was so important that this woman didn't feel like she stole that miracle, why she didn't go away unseen, why it wasn't. She needed to be seen. She needed to be acknowledged. And Jesus said, stop everything. And his disciples were like, we're on our way to pray for a girl who is dying. And you know what? She died. She died. And Jesus was still like, it's okay. It's all totally going to be good because right now the person I'm talking to you is you. Our mentor who just passed away, Don, was like that. So many people said at his funeral, when he was talking to you, you were the only person that he was talking to. He never hurried. Somebody would say, I need help to move this couch. And Don would say, hey, let's all just do that right now, huh? And so many times we'd be like, seriously, right now? We're going to move the couch right now? He was never hurried. He was never in a hurry. But have you ever read those gospel healing stories? And, of course, Jesus is there, and there's the giant crowd that are pressing on him. And, and then it says, and then Jesus left the crowds and went away. Mm-hmm. So think about that. So we hear the stories of the woman with the issue of blood, but what would have it felt like to be the person next in line? And then Jesus left. Do you think that happened? Oh, yeah. So I want to talk to you about obedience versus need. So we know that Jesus only did what the Father told him to do, right? And uh, once again, I need to, uh, because of my experience, I, I come to you f- from my missions experience of being in places like Cambodia or Guyana or everywhere, other places I've traveled, Morocco, where you see so much need, right? And it's overwhelming, right? And you're like, how am I supposed to respond to this? And the answer is you only do what God tells you to do. It's impossible for one person to feed everyone in the entire world. It's impossible for one person to eradicate extreme poverty, right? How we do, how we minister, how you be a good neighbor, is to just be obedient. Mm -hmm. You need to respond to what God's telling you to as opposed to responding to the need because you are not going to be the world's best neighbor to all of commercial drive. I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. So if, if if you're tempted to sort of take this, it is actually a grid. If you're tempted to take those nine little squares and try to just ram it over your life and make it fit, and we're going to do this, and we're going to love our neighbors. (laughs) No. That is an excellent way, A, to make your neighbors hate you, and B, for you to just get busier doing one more thing. That's not what we're talking about, right? But I encourage you to uh, respond out of obedience of what God is telling you uh, to do, and we need to make the main thing the main thing. Um, and so, uh, the reference here of Psalm 90 uh, 12 is to teach us to number our days that we may um, gain a heart of wisdom. Be wise of how you spend your time, listen to God, um, and remember that, that we need to respond out of that obedience as opposed to responding to need because the need will always be larger, right? And if we're just motivated by need. I can, you might be able to make it about a year, but I can guarantee you some pretty serious burnout after that. So good idea to keep that in mind. Yeah, 
So some good practical tips is the first thing is if you're looking at your life and you're going, okay, God, I want to take this seriously. I want to take this seriously. I want to follow you. I want to do the great commandment. I want to be better at loving my neighbor. First tip is to look at the things in your life that are stealing time. A big one for a lot of people, including us, is it's really tempting, especially get you get to the end of the day and you're really tired. And I don't know about you, but you, I can get on the internet thinking that I'm going to look at one thing, particularly because I'm relational. If I start, I'm reading email or looking at Facebook or looking at people's pictures. And then there's sometimes where I'll suddenly be like, why am I looking at 10 pictures of somebody that I hardly know? Like, I could just get into bed and read. But I've suddenly got sucked into this weird thing. And when Karen Reed shared about her house and her just intention, she said, we don't have a TV in the main area. We've deliberately set up the house to be a place of more conversation. And it's not that TV's bad or the internet's bad in and of itself, but it can suck time without you realizing it. And they, the question that I loved that they asked was, is this really enhancing your life? Now, if it gives you super great joy, I can think of one or two programs a year that give me great joy. There's one TV series that I'm watching right now that I love, that I really look forward to. And I will tell you later what it is, if you'd like to know. But I really look seriously look forward to it. And I think this is going to be so exciting. Everything else, honestly, I could cut off as a time stealer. Or the other thing that the authors of the book, they make a point in saying, as you get to know your neighbors, if you know you're really stoked about watching the football game, because that's your thing that you love, and you know you're going to be watching the football game, why don't you invite your neighbors to come and watch the football game with you? Like, how hard is that? You sit, you watch, t- you know, you do that together if that's what really enhances your life. But if it's not, cut it out. The example that they use in the book was that when Michelangelo made the statue of David and they said, how'd you create this masterpiece? He just said, I just looked at the block of marble and I just eliminated everything that wasn't the masterpiece. Simple as that. So, and then the last thing, and, and Karen even said this too, and what we just talked about was she said, I, I judge how well I'm doing at being a great neighbor by how interruptible I am. How when I get interrupted, how annoyed I am. And I would say for those of us who are planners, this is hard. You know, I make a plan about what I'm going to do. And I find even too, like it's, I, I find it difficult even after church on Sunday. I want every person that I talk to to have an awesome, amazing, genuine connection. But I also sometimes know that there's three people I want to talk to before I go. And I have three kids who all during Sunday school are waiting. And particularly our youngest son doesn't like church. And so he just is like, you know, he said, Mom, I don't like coming here because I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to find you. You know, or I want to be with you. And his thing is like, right, church is done out lady let's go let's go run out in the traffic yeah let's go run in the traffic so it's yeah being interruptible is is hard and then the other thing and and you did mention it um early on um i think we're gonna have to ask you for more time we got started a little bit later it's 12 15 right now are you guys good for another five minutes thank you double thumbs up mark it'll take us 10 this is why we work as a team i almost always think it will take half the time it's going to take okay so The other big block to being a great neighbor is fear. Um, And I just want to make a point of there's a difference between fear and discernment. And um, God gives us discernment. When we're teaching our kids about how to function wisely in the world, we call it the uh uh-oh feeling. (laughs) 
Somebody gives you an uh-oh feeling, you don't have to have a reason why, kids. You can just come up to me and say, I have an uh-oh feeling. Okay, awesome, let's move away. But I think sometimes when we're challenged about getting to know other people, um, we had somebody in our small group last week who shared, yeah, I came from a family where my parents just taught us to fear everybody. We just feared everybody all the time. And all of our neighbors were evil and bad, and that was just how I grew up, was that we just feared everybody all the time. And we live in a culture that is propagating that. We actually saw CNN for a little while this week. We don't have cable TV. We saw CNN this week for a period of time after the Boston Marathon bombing. And Wade and I were like, seriously, we sat on the couch and went, this is so weird. So weird. It is the 24-hour fear channel. I had a conversation lately with one of my neighbors down the street, and I, we were talking about how we're trying to figure out good boundaries with our eldest daughter, who wants to start walking to the park by herself. And, you know, so we've tried experiments. She walks to meet a neighbor, or she goes first for 10 minutes, we come along behind, or she's allowed to go to the corner store, and we come back at a certain time. And this lady said, do you know, guess what she said? Guess what she said? Yep. Yeah. And do you know also what she said? Do you watch the news? Do you watch the news? And we, I would like to suggest to you that we live in a culture of fear that teaches us to be afraid of each other. Um, I need to keep moving, but there's an excellent example. I'll just put this point up here. There's an unbelievable example from the Bible of how when the Israelites went into the promised land and 12 spies were sent in, 10 came back totally overcome with fear. Two came back and said, we can do it. And the ones overcome with fear said, those people in there, they think we're grasshoppers. And years later, when they came into the land, they met a woman named Rahab. And do you know what Rahab said? We are terrified of you. Terrified. We've heard what God has done of you. They spent 40 years in the wilderness because they believed these people who spoke out in fear. And it wasn't even true. So this is huge. Now, I'm not talking about timidity. I'm not talking about personality type. I'm not talking about being shy. And later on in this series, we will talk about how not everybody is the person who's wired to host the block party. Maybe that's the person three doors down. Maybe that's just not you. But what can you do within you, who you are? And how do you ask God to identify for you? What is really fear? What's discernment about you being wise? And what is really fear? Um, yeah, so go ahead, babe. Um, here's a surprising, well, not that surprising to anyone who's actually read the Bible, um, but the, our ultimate goal as Christ followers is not our personal safety. Um, and you may have just went, excuse me, Wade, uh, if you could um, click that forward there, Peter. Um, our cultural idea of being safe is a construct of the matrix. It does not exist. The safest thing that you can do if you're worried about your own protection is to obey Jesus and love him. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Unfortunately, bad things happen to good people all the time. And it doesn't matter if you're in Rwanda or if you're in Boston. It's the same. You can't control that. What you can do is you can be obedient and you can trust God. 
And even then, oh, reading the Gospels, you'll probably die. But guess what? You're all going to die one day. Just, it's shocking to hear that. Guess what? You're going to die because your culture is like, no, don't talk to anyone. They're dangerous. They're probably not. The uh, rate of violent crime in the last 30 years in North America has dropped dramatically. <laughs> like, seriously, if you're going to do actual research, the safety of our countries is insane. The 24-hour new fear channel, though, we have plenty yeah. of those going on. So that's what has changed. Um, so when we're... Um, so, what's, so what's stopping us from doing this is not... Is it really... Fear? I mean, because fear is a helpful thing, right? Your body is conditioned to fear things that will harm you. I walk forward to Kenny. I go poke out his eyes. He blinks. He totally didn't. That's weird. Yeah, that was awesome. If you walk up to anybody else and do that, they might blink. Right? Because your body is conditioned to do that, right? We're not really talking about fear here. It's not like you really fear. Fear your neighbors, right? I mean, we're talking about other things like, as Chris and I agree on, like our own personal laziness. Like, that's what we're really talking about here. Um, um, And we need to remember that God is already at work in our neighborhoods. God doesn't actually need us. Because he's God. He just invites us along for the ride of his amazing plan. God is already doing things in our neighborhoods. It's very arrogant of us to think that we are, you know, our own personal Messiah. And it's like, I am here to save the neighborhood. God's already working in people's hearts. There are already people of peace in your neighborhood, and God's just asking us along for the wonderful ride because he's most interested in not our safety, but our character, in our growth, right, in, in being Jesus, and not only sharing Jesus, but learning from our neighbors, as I was talking about my other analogy. We have a lot to learn, first of all, and we need to come as a position of learners as opposed to a position with teachers to start with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and ultimately, knowing our neighbors, it, it, it brings us peace. I mean, you think about it. You know, you're great friends. We're so blessed. We, we share a house with our friends Miles and Karen who go to this church. They have the upstairs apartment and we have the downstairs apartment. It's a great blessing. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard. But the blessings far outweigh the, the challenges. And the more we know our neighbors, if you're genuinely concerned about peace or feeling safer in your neighborhood, then I would invite you to ask God to help you to get over the whatever so you get to know people because it's amazing. It's so great. I, um, I shared a little bit last week just really briefly about a lady who lives over the back alley from us and how I had forgotten her name and we reintroduced ourselves. And I had a moment week before last where I was in my kitchen and I had been out in the backyard a short time before and I heard a car alarm going off and it sounded like it was right there. Well, I've lived in Vancouver for 20 years. Don't go outside when a car alarm goes off. And car alarms go off all the time. I totally felt Holy Spirit being like, hello, art of neighboring. And I was like, right, right. I'm committed to this. So I go outside, and sure enough, it's my neighbor's car, and the alarm's going off. And she comes out on the porch, 
and she's there with her fob and she's trying to do stuff. So I'm just over my back fence. And I say, hey, are you okay? She goes, yeah, I'm fine. It's just so finicky. I said, I was out here just two minutes ago. I think every, I, I never saw anybody. I think it's fine. She goes, thanks so much. Okay, great. Okay, bye. We uh, say goodbye. Later that day, we walked past each other, went by each other. I went by each other. And for the first time ever, she saw me and went, hey, Joanna. And I went, that was the car alarm. That was the car alarm. That was because I went outside and checked on her to see if everything was okay. So the questions for reflection today that I have for you are, this is a big one. Am I living at a pace that allows me to be available to the people around me in my life? And if I'm not, are all of the things that I'm doing instead more important than taking the Great Commandment literally? I would like to thank our bold, blunt American brothers and sisters for the wording of this question. As a polite Canadian, I probably would have phrased it more gently, and then I thought, no, dang it, this is one of the gifts of the series. Is everything we're doing more important than taking the Great Commandment literally? That's what the Bible says. So be challenged. Be willing to be uncomfortable. Be willing to ask. And be willing to believe that if you're going to follow it, that it's the best thing. And then the last question really is, what am I afraid of? God will help you with that. God's word is clear, very clear about fear. Very, very clear. Pastor Gordy once told me that the Bible says fear not 366 times, one for every day of the year and one extra just in case. And I've never forgotten it. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. So, um, I'm sorry for taking a little extra time. We obviously had important stuff to do today. So, um, yeah, thanks for your graciousness. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Wow, we packed a lot in today. And uh, the good news is this is available by podcast really soon, right? So you can go back and reflect. Really good stuff. Do we have the, the discussion sheets available at the back still? So uh, home groups are going to be unpacking what you heard today in their home groups this week. In the small groups, if you're not part of a small group, help yourself to one of those anyway. And uh, discuss it with a roommate or family. Uh, talk about these things. Uh, let's, let's work on these things. Let's pray into these things. Let's ask God to continue to help us to grow in this very, very important art of, of being good neighbors. Uh, Welcome to the Vineyard is going to be starting in about a half an hour over at our house. So for those of you that are going to be joining us there, you can make your way over there. Why don't we all stand together? Uh, Rose wanted me to remind everybody that Bree, their daughter, graduated recently at, Bright. what's it called? Ryerson in Toronto. It's a fashion design school. And some of Bree's graduation samples are available on the back row for, for you to view. So that would be awesome. Bree, of course, was part of our church for many years. Have a, have a look. All right. So, Lord, thank you. Lord, uh, through tears and through joy today for this rich morning, thank you for speaking to us, for being with us. Uh, now, Lord, may your grace, uh, your empowering presence, uh, the fellowship of your Holy Spirit, Lord, be with each one of us as we seek to live out our lives in a way that honors Jesus, glorifies him, so that the world may see the Father. 
We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God bless you. Have a fantastic week. And we'll see you next Sunday.